Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hey guys, and welcome back to another episode of the Reed Option Podcast. As always, I am your host, Jordan Reed, joined alongside my co-host, Brentley Wiseman. Dre wasn't able to make it tonight, so we do have two-thirds of the band together, but we still have to keep the show on the road, as always. Brentley, how's everything going with you, man? Everything's good. Dude, I've got my first uh, win for the fantasy football season. Your boy was sitting at 0-5 heading into the weekend. Um, luckily, my players, Jonathan Taylor, showed up finally. Stefan Diggs got some action tonight. A.J. Brown finally did something. Got the W, got the monkey off my back. So hopefully I can rattle off some more wins heading into you know the next couple of weeks. But overall, man, I'm doing well. So are you a big parlay guy? Unfortunately, because I, I heard like you're not really supposed to do parlays because like you just set yourself up for failure. I had a couple parlays out. I was going, I think I had a 14 parlay. I want to say I had Oklahoma, um, a UCLA, uh, Alabama, and then I had Arizona State as my last leg of my parlay. Mm. Arizona State loses to Utah, ruins my dang parlay Saturday night. Oh, so furious. Yeah, so I'm still doing my research, and I'm I'm going <laughs> to get in on the fun one of these days. I want to make sure you even know I'm competitive, man. I hate when I lose, especially when I have a 5 or 16 parlay, and then man. the very last game it comes down to it, and they end up losing the game. I'll be pissed when something the, like there's, that happens. There's really no worse <laughs> feeling than that, honestly. It, yeah. it is, it's brutal. <laughs> For sure. But, you know, we had a great game tonight, and, yep. you know, that's kind of been the thing that's going on right now. We've had great Thursday night games, and then we have – We've had great Monday night games so far this year, and we had another great one tonight between the Buffalo Bills and then also the Tennessee Titans, two teams in the AFC that a lot of people were looking forward to seeing this year. The Titans have been struggling a little bit offensively. They seem to get back on track, even though Julio did go out with the hamstring. A lot of people were excited to see him and A.J. Brown in this explosive offense together. Derrick Henry was Derrick Henry. I mean, he's just a freak of nature, 6'4", 250 pounds. The way he was able to accelerate on that 75-yard touchdown was just ridiculous. Tannehill played a little bit better. Uh, tonight, Josh Allen was Josh Allen. Then the playmaker stepped up for Buffalo, too. And this was a back-and-forth heavyweight type of match. Uh, Tennessee ends up getting the victory 34-31, to 31, and it came down to the final seconds of the game. A heck of a play made by Jeffrey Simmons stopping Josh Allen on fourth and one. But, you know, quick takeaways from this one. Yeah, for me, it's really the Titans' defense. I know they did give up, give up some points to the Buffalo Bills' offense, but that's to be expected. I mean, you go up against guys like Josh Allen, Stephon Diggs, Emmanuel Sanders just having a really good year. Of course, this offense is going to get points. But the Titans really all season, on defense at least, have not been great. They got destroyed by Arizona. Seattle had a really good game against them. They just haven't been the Titan defense that we would expect. You know, I mean, they're a playoff team for the past like, three years. Um, and, you know, that's something I really wanted to see coming into this game because they're in a division, Jordan, where there is no clear number one team. Like, you think it's going to be the Titans. But the Titans really haven't been playing good ball. You know, the one consistent thing they have going for them is, of course, King Henry, Derrick Henry, who – my money might be the MVP of the league. I mean, my gosh, he's had another 150-yard game, three touchdowns. The guy's unstoppable. 
But, like, the rest of this offense hasn't really showed up. Tannehill's been inconsistent this year. Julio Jones had the one good game against Seattle. A.J. Brown has done nothing all year until tonight. So, on paper, this offense should be explosive. But I think the loss of Arthur Smith is proving to be way bigger than a lot of us thought heading into the year. But for me, it was really, really good to see this unit kind of click on all cylinders, get A.J. Brown going, get Julio going before he got went down with injury. Derrick Henry is Derrick Henry. Even the first or the tight end had some good couple catches. And Tannehill, I thought, played good football. you know. And so I'm excited for this Tennessee Titan team to kind of take this next step, build on this, because they have the talent to compete in the AFC. And I'm just happy that someone from the AFC, AFC South is finally stepping up because – for the rest of the whole season, it looked like no one was going to. Yeah, nobody wants to win that division. We know Houston's not good. Indianapolis has been inconsistent. And then we know what Jacksonville is at this point with Urban Meyer and the dumpster fire that they have been, even though they had a good game last week uh, against against Miami, getting the victory over there in London. So the AFC South is just one of those divisions of where – there's not a lot of good teams in it. Tennessee really hasn't had a lot of competition, you know, going back and forth with Indianapolis. Those are, those two have really been going back and forth as far as the division winners over the past few years. But I want to transition now to the college football side of things. In week seven, it was very exciting. Not a whole bunch of upsets overall. We did have one between Purdue and Iowa. I love the tweet of Purdue coming out saying we beat the number two <laughs> out of Iowa. I thought that was pretty creative. That sent that sent social media in a frenzy. But the big news happened before any game even started in week seven. And it was LSU with Coach Ed Orgeron and the program agreeing to part ways. So he'll finish out this year and he will not be back in 2022. But there were so many candidates that everybody was really names that were servicing. Some that I saw with Joe Brady, the offensive coordinator of the Carolina Panthers, um, we know what he was able to do in 2019 with Joe Burrow and those offensive weapons that they had, like Jamar Chase and Justin Jefferson. The list goes on and on of the players that ended up being drafted from that offense and on the other side of the ball. Jimbo Fisher was a surprise name that I saw surface. And I'm not sure if you've seen Jimbo's press conference from today. He pretty much refuted everything, which is the right thing to do, of course. But we know with Jimbo, he's never going to he's never going to shy away from money, just like when he left Florida State to go to Texas A&M for that huge contract when they gave it to him a couple of years ago. Dave Aranda, who's Baylor's head coach, he has that program really rolling and on the correct path right now. Former defensive coordinator forever at LSU. So we'll see what does happen with that. Luke Fickle from Cincinnati, we know his name is going to come up in every single job interview as far as high-profile names. His name came up in the USC opening when that first came about as well. And then James Franklin is another that's going to come up. That name is going to come about for every opening too. But to you, what name makes the most sense as far as fit, uh, what LSU needs, and then somebody that can thrive in this job? For me, I think it's the first name you mentioned is Joe Brady. I think for, for a couple of reasons. One, like he had success at LSU as the quarterback slash offensive coordinator in 2019 when they won the national championship game. The work he was able to do with Joe Burrow and that offense and having that offense really being one of the best units we've seen in college football over the past decade, you know, to me, I thought was tremendous. And then really he's been – sensational with the Panthers, in my opinion, in terms of his creativity on offense. I know Sam Darnold's kind of regressing from his early start, but I don't think you can put that blame on Joe Brady. Um, the issue here with, with this fit is if Joe Brady even wants to go back to college football. We just don't know. I do think he'll be offered a head coaching job this season in the NFL if he wants it. 
However, as I know, as you know, sometimes these top college jobs, like at LSU, they pay more than NFL jobs do. You have more power at at a job like LSU than you would going to like, you know, Cincinnati or the New York Giants. You know, I would I would strongly consider this job if I'm Joe Brady. And then just in terms of the fit outside of the fact that he's already been there, LSU right now is struggling because they simply just aren't coached well. They have the talent. Like LSU's always gonna have talent. No matter I can go and be the head coach of LSU and I can recruit five stars. That's not gonna be the issue. Like you're in a hotbed state of New Orleans, like you're gonna get five stars left and right. It's do you have the coach that can actually scheme up get winning game plans and execute winning game plans on Saturday? Uh, coach Coach Orgeron, he's not it. I've been saying it, I think, since like week one or whatever. I thought Orgeron was going to be on the hot just simply because he's a good recruiter, but on the field, he's a liability. And, and you know, talent can only take you so far, especially when you're facing, you know, week in and week out comparable talent in the SEC. You need an edge at your head coach, and Orgeron is simply not that. I think Joe Brady could be that. His offensive skills in terms of play calling, game planning, scheming are elite, in my opinion. His work with quarterbacks has been nothing sort of sensational, in my opinion, going back to what he did for Joe Burrow. I think this is the polar opposite of Coach Ed Orgeron. So that's why I think it makes sense. I think it makes a ton of sense. Now, granted, if he doesn't want to leave the NFL, which I would also understand, I think LSU is going to be in a little pickle. You know, I do think they would be the number one opening, even over USC. But like I said, like, they need a high-profile name. I don't know if any name you listed in terms of Luke Fickle, Dave Aranda, like, like they, don't, they don't do it for me. Like, this is LSU. Like, this is one of the top – five or so jobs in the country. You need a home run. You need a splashy hire. So I would call Urban Meyer. Like I would honestly call Urban Meyer and, and get a feel if he's interested. I know everyone says USC would make better sense for Urban Meyer. I completely disagree. I mean, you think Coach Orgeron and Les Miles, they all went there to LSU and they won national championships. Like, you don't think Urban Meyer can do that? I mean, Nick Saban already looks vulnerable this year. His damn team doesn't look as good as it used to be. Um, so if I'm Urban Meyer, I'm strongly considering this LSU opening uh, once it comes available. It's, it's kind of hard to project who exactly they're going to go after and successfully get just because you're going to hear, you know, Jimbo Fisher and James Franklin and Luke Fickle. I think one name that's kind of underrated in all of this, Lane Kiffin. Lane Kiffin is one guy, you know, he hasn't been scared to switch jobs. We saw what he did at Tennessee, uh, what he did with the Raiders. And then him jumping ship, going to Ole Miss, too. So he's not scared to jump jobs really quickly. And I think this is one that would really intrigue him just because we both know he has plenty of experience in the SEC. And we know with Lane, he would be that splashy hire that they're kind of going for. And they need somebody to rival like Nick Saban. And we both know they're not going to get a hire that's going to be better than Saban initially. But they need somebody that like what we when we when we had the discussion about USC, who is a coach that can walk into a room and convince recruits after Lane Kiff or after Nick Saban and Dabo Sweeney and uh, Ryan Day walk out of the room to convince them to come to LSU? I think Lane Kiffin could be that type of guy. So Kiffin is one name to definitely watch in this one. But um, I'm with you on Joe Brady. But I just think they're going to want more of a splashier hire just because we both know with LSU, 
they like those splashy hires. And then, like we said, this is LSU, man. Like this is a top tier job, probably top three to five job in the country, um, you know, behind some of the more marquee programs like a, a USC or Notre Dame or Alabama or something like that. But this is definitely in the top five as far as best jobs in the country. But one underrated name that a lot of people are not talking about right now that they could go after if they're looking for more of a program type of builder is Billy Napier from Louisiana Lafayette. Mm. Um, he's one name that I definitely think could be a little bit underrated in this one. And he's 26 and five since 2019. He has experience at Clemson. He's coached under Dabo Sweeney. He has experience at Alabama, too. So he's coached under Nick Saban, too. So he's seen the best of the best as far as being a program builder. So maybe if they strike out on some of these higher upper echelon names like Elaine Kiffin or Jimbo Fisher or, you know, Luke Fickle or James Franklin, keep an eye on Billy Napier. I think he would be a really good fit at LSU if they're looking for a true program builder or somebody that's that they're looking that can continuously uh, have them in the run of things over time, even though he may not be a splashy hire, Napier is a proven program program builder. So it wouldn't surprise me if you see his name surface. What about um about Bill O'Brien? Well, Bill O'Brien, you know, he's obviously yeah. coaching the offensive coordinator at Alabama this year. Um, you know, before all the Texans kind of mess he was a good head coach before he's kind of got power hungry and started making all the personnel moves and then going back to his job at penn state as a head coach for a couple of years during all the the bills you know the sandusky stuff and how he was able to kind of steer that program out of that and, and really leave them in excellent hands you know before he left i think he could make a lot of sense just because you know, he's done it he's he's built and turnaround programs he's a great offensive mind a leader of men and he's already learning under Saban in terms of SEC recruiting. I mean, I think that would be a home run, to be honest with you. Yeah. And then another is Mel Tucker from Michigan yeah. State. Yeah. Well, Even he's though, doing a damn good job. Yeah, he is. Mel would scare me a little bit just because of what happened to Colorado. But we know Mel is going to recruit his butt off. That's what he's known for. And then him being a defensive guy, I definitely could see him winning the room over in an interview, too. So. Mel Tucker wouldn't be surprised. Wouldn't be surprising either if that's another name that they want to go after. So uh, they're going to cast a wide net. We do know that, but they're going to have their A list uh, as far as people that they want at the top. But if they do strike out on some of those names, they're going to have plenty of people that are going to be interested in this job. Just because, like we said, it is LSU, and this is one of the more marquee jobs in the country. But before we move on, I want to remind the audience about Bet Online. We're back and better than ever. A new web interface for the start of the basketball season and more props, odds, and lines than ever before. Bet Online remains your number one spot for all the basketball and football action this season. Head to the new updated desktop or web or mobile website to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use your promo code Believe50. That's B-L-E-A-V-50 to receive your bonus from basketball, football, baseball, postseason, NHL, boxing, and UFC, right to your favorite Vegas casino games. Don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite sports. Bet online where the game starts. All right, so game balls for this week and then also game recaps. We have a lot that we are going to get to, some game recaps. Georgia, Kentucky, Iowa, Purdue, and then Florida and LSU. We can touch on some other games really quickly too, but your game balls. Who are some players that may have stood out to you this week? Yeah, well, I mean, you know I'm going to start, and that's going to be Kayvon Thibodeau. <laughs> I already 
I mean, <laughs> that performance Friday was absolutely unreal. So he missed the first half because of a bogus targeting call two weeks before at Stanford. Um, and Oregon was, I mean, they were looking terrible uh, at Cal in the first half. I think they were down actually heading into the first half, or the second half. And when Kayvon Thibodeau came came in uh, post halftime, he legit took the game over. I think PFF credited him with 11 pressures on 22 pass reps. So he's literally getting home 50% of the time. Like that's absolutely ridiculous. He flashed the bull rush. He flashed winning with speed, just relentless motor. All the traits that will make him arguably the best prospect in the upcoming draft were on display on Friday night. I mean, he was outstanding, Jordan. I mean, it, it was one of the best defensive performances I've seen in a very, very long time. Um, and, and for me, it, it's great to see just because he's been dealing with injuries this year. Yeah. You know, he had the ankle in week one, and then he came back against Arizona and then had the left foot, and he just hasn't seemed to go gone right this year. Just like Stingley, he could have hung up the cleats, got ready for the draft. He's doing all his NIL deals. He has an NFT. He's chilling. You know, he definitely didn't need to play. Let's be real. He, he doesn't need to play right now. He doesn't need to play. Right. And he's still coming back week in, week out, doing it for his teammates, doing it because he loves Oregon. So it was so good to see him have that night on the big stage, primetime game against Cal. Um, it was really great. So game ball for sure is going to KT. Yeah, it's just one of those performances that we're going to come back to when yep. we're talking about him possibly going number one overall. And that's going to be one of the games that you point to of what he can be on the next level, just being able to take over games. And, you know, if I'm Houston or Detroit, I kind of take like the Cleveland Browns route of where they drafted Miles Garrett and then in the future, finding my quarterback of the future, maybe later on down the road. So I wouldn't be pressed to draft a quarterback if I have a top five selection this year. And if I have Kayvon Thibodeau or, you know, Derek Stingley staring me right there in the face, I think I have to take in consideration of taking them, especially just because this quarterback class just does not look very good right now. And I mean, we both know that. And it's just a down year. And it kind of reminds me of 2013, I believe it was, uh, where there just wasn't any quarterback that you fall in love with. And I'm not in love with any of these guys right now, but it's easy to fall in love with a player like a Kayvon Thibodeau and you know Derek Stingley or Kyle Hamilton or somebody like that. But my game ball for this week goes to N'Kobe Dean, the linebacker from Georgia. And this dude looks so much better this year. This new defense that they're playing in, uh, they're just allowing him to roam a little bit more freely than what they did last year. He has obviously more consistency up front in front of him. Jordan Davis is playing out of his mind. Uh, I can give a game ball to him too. Uh, might as well do that as well. Both of those, I think they're by far in a way the two best players on this Georgia defense, just watching them from week to week and the consistency that both of them have played with. I think they're both going to end up, I think Davis has a chance to go in the first round for sure, but N'Kobe Dean is steadily climbing week after week. And, you know, he's a little bit undersized. He's about six foot, 230 pounds probably in that range but it's going to come down to just how well he tests at the combine but if you turn on the film his energy is just ridiculous his blitz value is outstanding I mean like he literally looks like Roquan <laughs> Smith out there and I'm not saying he's going to go as high as Roquan did but just to paint a picture of exactly how he looks in this defense and just the energy that he plays with and the aggressiveness of the aggressive style that he plays with like man this dude is all over the field and it's from the first quarter all the way through the fourth quarter. And like at the end of the game last week against Kentucky, he returned a block punt. 
And it's like, man, like he's playing on special teams too. So he's not only flashing on defense, but he's flashing, he's flashing on special teams too, which is great. He's going to win a lot of people over in a lot of draft rooms, especially with him being on special teams. Nicobe Dean is honestly one of my favorite players in the country. Like he is always around the football, plays his butt off. Just all he does is make plays. And like he's not the biggest, not the fastest enough, doesn't have great length, but his instincts, his motor, he, he, has, he has some quickness. He has some closing quickness and closing bursts. Like he – there's no way he gets out of the top 45 picks. Like he is just – every defensive coordinator is going to march into their draft room and demand their GM pick N'Kobe Dean. We want this kid on our football team. He is an ass kicker. I'm a huge fan of N'Kobe Dean. But, dude, like you mentioned, like we could seriously sit up here and give game balls to the entire Georgia defense. Like I'm watching that game. I'm sitting there asking myself, are we sure number 95, Devontae Wyatt, isn't Man. just as good as Jordan Davis? Like, let's be real right. here. Like, this is insane. He was flashing to me. Like, he's explosive. He has size. He has, he has length. I think he had, like, two sacks. I'm not, I'm not, I don't have the stats in front of him, but he was disruptive. I was like, who's this guy? Like, what? What's happening here? The sophomore defensive tackle is good, too. Number 88, uh, Jalen Carter. I mean, Carter, Carter. Yeah. it's it's ridiculous, man. Like, where where are they getting these people, man? And they have a corner, Keely Ringo. Yeah, I think he's a redshirt freshman. He's he's quickly becoming their best corner, even over Kendrick. Like, this is nuts. Um, I mean, truly, this is one of the best defenses I've ever seen in college football. I don't know how teams are going to be able to move the ball against them. I mean, Kentucky was came into the game ranked twelfth, I think. Their offense was humming. They shut them down. Completely got shut down by Georgia's defense. It was a beatdown of a lifetime. And honestly, I think Bama's even going to struggle. Unless, unless they start playing a lot better, the Bama we've seen the past couple of weeks, they're not yeah. going to be able to compete against this Georgia team because 14 of their early points from Bama came off turnovers. It's not like Bama's moving the football with ease anymore. So right. I'll be really fascinated to see um, you know, the SEC championship game, what shakes out. Yeah, that's definitely going to be a fun one. I'm hoping we get both of those teams in the national title just because if Georgia plays anybody else besides Alabama, it's going to be a bloodbath. You know, Iowa was frauds. We saw what We we knew that one coming in. Yeah, we saw what Purdue was able to do them. And, you know, I I like Cincinnati, but I I don't know if they're going to be able to handle this Georgia defense. They kind of struggled with the defense that we saw last year from Georgia in the Peach Bowl. And this is a totally different monster, even though it would be good for Desmond Ritter to get that on film. We'll get to see him against a defense like this. But, man, we're talking about one of the best defenses that I've seen in college football in a very, very, very long time. But, yeah, um, you know, we don't need to go in depth about the Georgia-Kentucky game. We pretty much already did that. We've got to tell everybody about our friends over at Prize Picks, the easy way to play Daily Fantasy. Daily Fantasy Simplified. Listen, it's pretty simple. You just pick two to five players and an over-under on their projections, and you can win up to ten times on any entry. It's not you against anybody else. It's just you against the projected numbers. They have a ton of stats to choose from, including yards, receptions, touchdowns, fantasy points, and more. I think my favorite part of this is they allow mixed sports entries. So you can have LeBron James in there with the NBA starting up pretty soon and then have a Patrick Mahomes related projection or statistic in there that you want to bet so you can mix sports they offer every sport you can think of NFL college football NBA college basketball MLB soccer MMA and more they have an award-winning easy-to-use mobile app that is available on both Android and iPhone so just check out 
the App Store or the Google Play Store. These entries can be made in 60 seconds or less. It is that easy. We got a deal for you. If you use the code TDN when you deposit and sign up over at Price Picks, you will receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100. Iowa Purdue. Let's talk about this one. And my biggest takeaway from this one is just George Karloftis and yep. what he was able to do in this game. I think he's helped himself so much this year. You know, he was only able to play in three games a year ago just because he was battling COVID. And then he had a lower body injury last year too i think that only limited him to a handful of games too so just once again the energy that he plays with the natural power that he has and then just the versatility that he has i think he's going to be a day one starter in the nfl and the great thing about him is that he can reduce down inside and he can play that four eye that four technique in a three four defensive front and then he also can play that five technique in a four three so he's scheme versatile too I like him a lot, too. So I think he's probably going to end up a top 20 pick. I think he's going to test much better than what a lot of people are expecting. That's the thing. So when I studied Carl Loftus, I liked a lot of the things you said. I, lo- I liked his size. Um, he's a really dense player where he doesn't have that versatility to kick down inside if need be. He plays with a relentless motor. He has really, really good hands, that which we saw on Saturday. He's just always keeps his body clean, always working to get the, to the quarterback. But – I think you hit the nail on the head. This kid's going to test a lot better than what we think. And I get it. Like, look, you see a big kind of, you know, white defensive end. People just naturally don't assume that they're physical freaks, you know, like a KT where they they may not have the explosiveness. But we got to quit staring, tapping kids, man. This kid is explosive. Like, he has a real, real get off for a big guy. Um, I think, you know, the announcers are saying he's going to clocking close to a 4740 at that size. I mean, this kid's really, really athletic. I think he can bend. He gets home into the quarterback. TD, we, we, we just released our new top 100 for October update. We had George Karloffis at 11 overall. I feel very, very, very good about that ranking after Saturday's performance. He was dominant. Jordan, absolutely dominant. I think he had uh, one sack, one qu- three quarterback hurries, and a tackle for loss. I mean, this kid was everywhere. He really helped himself. I mean, he's one of the best players in the country. Yeah, easily. And, I I mean, like you said about N'Kobe Dean, he's another player that I can see defensive coordinators just absolutely falling in love with just because of the versatility that he has, the strength and the natural power that he has walking through the door, too. And then he's played a lot of football in his career, too, which is always going to be a, a helping thing for him, too, in his corner. So I'm excited to see what happens with Carl Loftus. But this Iowa offense was not pretty <laughs> at all. Man, it was so hard to watch that offense. And they end up losing this one 24-7. But, you know, they struggled to get that seven. So <laughs> I think that was one of the reasons why I wasn't a huge believer in Iowa, just because of the offense and the way it has struggled this year. They, I think they, they came into the game with a nation-leading 20 takeaways. They literally have only been able to score points off of turnovers. I'm not the biggest analytics guy in the world, but I think the word is regression. Like that's that's yeah. obviously regression was gonna come. Like not every team is gonna give you six turnovers like Maryland did, you know, and set you up with short fields and make life easy for you and get you know 18 yard touchdown drives. It's not gonna happen week in and week out. Iowa, everyone knew they were frauds, and I know the Big Ten fans listening to the pod might get all salty and stuff, but let's be real here. Like you have Ohio State, you have Michigan, you might you might have Michigan State. Iowa was frauds. They got exposed at home against Purdue, who they just looked like the, the better team. I mean, yeah. George Karloff just balled. 
David Bell, we, we need we need to talk about him. I mean, yeah. my gosh, what he had eleven catches for two hundred forty yards and two touchdowns. Are you kidding me? Like what? Like we could look at that stat line and be like, that's a pretty good stat line for the season. He had that in a single game. I mean, he right. was un unguardable. Um, so I mean, it was a it was a beatdown, and and you know, Iowa got humbled a little bit, and they'll have to figure it out because I mean, they have a pretty tough stretch coming up in the Big Ten. For sure. But let's transition back to the SEC and let's go to Florida and LSU. This game was interesting, to say the least. And I say interesting just because Florida has a weird situation going on with their quarterback situation. And I'm not sure exactly what Dan Mullen is trying to do or what he's trying to prove with this quarterback situation. But Richardson definitely is the better player over Emory Jones. I'm not sure if he's trying to prove that he was right with recruiting. Emory Jones is staying loyal to him, but I think he just needs to go ahead and make the switch, just like what Oklahoma did. I mean, Lincoln Riley was able to admit his fault, and we saw what Caleb Williams was able to do, throwing four touchdowns, and they rolled to a victory over TCU. And I think if Dan Mullen doesn't make this switch sooner rather than later, he's going to end up losing both guys. And Emory Jones is going to transfer and Anthony Richardson is going to transfer just because of the confusion as far as what's happening at the quarterback spot. But I think he needs to go ahead and make this switch. Richardson is by far the more gifted thrower. You see that just the the small glimpses of what they're able to do, the small package that they have for him. Super strong arm. And he had a gorgeous touchdown throw down the right sideline in this game. And, you know, every time he's come in, he's been productive, even though he did have an interception, a pretty bad interception in this one. I would rather take my bumps and bruises with the young quarterback and Richardson as opposed to uh, the le- the lesser gifted player in Emory Jones. Uh, so I just think Richardson is the more talented player. and I think it gives you a better chance to win as opposed to creating this confusion that they have right now. And it's gotten to the point of where I don't even think they know who's going to start the next drive in games. They're looking at each other. Uh, who's going to start this drive? Who's going to start this drive? You don't want that with your offense, especially at that spot. So I just think he needs to come out and just put a cease to it and just go with one or the other. And I think for me, I would go with Richardson. And it cost him in this game. That was the reason why they ended up losing to this one. And then Florida's run defense was absolutely dreadful <laughs> in this one. I would be really surprised if Ty Grantham was the defensive coordinator, if, if he's the D.C. there next year. It was so bad, man. Like they were getting gashed. Uh, constantly up the middle in this one. And they were running a simple uh, counter play of where they were just pulling two pullers around and they just could not figure it out at all. And then um, I'm trying to pull up the running back's name uh, just because it came Tyrion out of nowhere. Davis Price. Yeah, that Tyrion Davis-Price. That something, came. I think, man. Yeah, yeah. He, <laughs> he was excellent in this yeah, game. He ended up with 36 carries, 287 yards, and three touchdowns. So, um, yeah, he was phenomenal in this one. And Florida just could not figure out what was going on with the run game there. No, I mean, I'm just going to echo some of the things you said. Look, I, I have a lot of respect for Dan Mullen. I actually think he's one of the better coaches in all of college football, but he is doing himself a disservice. He has a really talented playmaker at quarterback, and his name is not Emory Jones. It's Anthony Richardson. Every time this kid gets in the football game, all he does is make plays. He has a huge arm, and unlike Emory Jones, he actually has touch. He actually has accuracy. Like, Emory Jones has, might have a cannon, but it's all just so forced. Nothing's natural with his throwing motion. He's not accurate, makes terrible decisions. I'm not sure what the Florida coaching staff is seeing in Jones to continue you know, keeping him the starter. Richardson's more explosive running the football. So he makes, he makes plays on the ground. He's a better passer. And the office just seems to 
click better when he's in, in the lineup. Like, I don't understand why wouldn't you play this kid? And he ain't he's younger. Are you kidding me? I don't know. And then really, like, like you mentioned, the reluctance to name a starter is hurting both of these players because now neither of them can go into the game the week's game plan knowing if they're going to be starting. That really affects players and especially quarterbacks and young quarterbacks at that. So I just think Dan Mullen is really doing the situation incorrectly. And I mean, hopefully for the both kids, hopefully for the Florida program, he comes to his senses this week and names Anthony Richardson the starter moving forward for the season no matter what. Um, but going back to this running back, man, Tyrion Davis Price, this kid looks special, dude. Yeah. I don't know if he's he's not the biggest, not the most explosive, but he runs north, south, down, downhill, good contact balance, good vision, uh, really good power. Um, you know, I don't think he'll be a top you know, day two pick or nothing like that, but you know, somewhere sixth sixth round, you know, we could be talking about a steal. Um, so he's a name for you know draft fans to you know write down and just remember come April because he he showed me something. I think this kid's gonna play in the NFL. Yeah, I'm with you. I, I wrote his name down immediately just because of how productive he was in this game, but just how hard mm-hmm. he was running in this one, too. And, you know, LSU has players all over the field. They have some young corners that really shined in this game that aren't necessarily draft eligible, but some names really to stash away for future years. And that's why I like watching these games around the country, having, you know, four or five games up at a time, just writing down names, especially when they're in in our scouting regions, too, just so we can circle back to them. In the future, too. Uh, Florida has some players that played decent in this game, was able to get a good look at Zachary Carter, the defensive end, um, that's really had a breakout year, too. So uh, I thought he played decent overall in this one. But Kyrie Elam really struggled in this one. I thought this was by far his worst game of the year. And then, you know, Florida's defense as a whole just wasn't good in this one. So it's good to see these type of games on film just because you're able to – you know, poke some holes in some guys, and you're able to see some weaknesses for them to build upon too. So, uh, I mean, Kyrie is still going to end up being a first round pick, there, but there were some concerns in this one, and the biggest was just the short area quickness. That's always been my biggest concern with them. Those short, shiftier type of receivers, they're able to get up on his cushion really quickly, and he's left, uh, kind of left, uh, just standing there. So, I think that's the biggest thing that he needs to work on, just matching that short area quickness and not playing catch up as much. But I think that's something that is, is always going to be a, con- a constant battle for him uh, just trying to guard those short shiftier type of players but he matches up well against those big physical wide receivers that's more of a better matchup for him but did you have anything else uh, to add before we get out of here as far as some other teams that may have stood out to you or players I mean yeah there was one player uh, Devin Lloyd I think we've talked about him Utah linebacker but I mean my gosh he was absolutely outstanding against um against Arizona State. I think he finished with nine tackles, two sacks, a forced fumble. I mean, this kid is really having a sensational year. He has length. He has range. He has size. Um, he has instincts, and he can come downhill and, and fill a running lane. So when you think about a complete linebacker, you can be a Mike, you can be a Will the next level and play in space. I mean, this is this is the kid. This is it. You know, I, I really think he has the chance to be linebacker one in this draft just from what we're seeing this year. Um, so he's another name again for you draft fans just to keep in mind. I mean, he'll, he'll, he'll be a first round pick at least. I know that he'll be a first round pick no matter what I I'm, I'm sold on, on that. Just a matter of how high. Yeah, I was, I watched him a couple of weeks ago. I can't remember who it was against, but, um, when we were making our top 100 list and, you know, I was able to do some cross checks with him. I didn't realize how big he was. I didn't know he was mm-hmm. six foot three, two hundred and twenty pounds. He doesn't really look that big on film. 
Uh, but yeah, he, he's a lengthy dude, very active. Uh, they played him some at defensive end this year too, just because they've had some injuries. But great for him, just because they were, he's able to show that rush ability and he looked comfortable doing it too, which is really good for him, especially when we're talking about some third down things of where you can get creative with them. So, yeah, big big fan of Devin Lloyd. I really like how this linebacker group is shaking out. Actually, um, you know, Nicobe Dean is a player that's had a big year. Uh, Henry Toto has been a little bit inconsistent this year. The same with Christian Harris, but we know both of them are very talented. And then. You know, we talked about Devin Lloyd, too, is probably going to end up our top linebacker. Um, Brandon Smith is another one from Penn State. We know he's an athletic freak, too. So this linebacker class definitely has some promise, even though there's not a whole bunch of star power or notable names at the top coming into the year. I think there's some depth at the top of this group. Yep. No, no doubt. All right. So as always, thank you guys for listening. We are the Read Option Podcast. I want to remind you to go check out the TDN Top 100 that is on our YouTube channel at the Draft Network. Go check us out on Instagram, Twitter um, and any other social media platforms that you're able to consume. All of that is the same name, the Draft Network. Dre Harris, um, uh, excuse me, Keith Sanchez just released his updated mock draft that is his first one ever so be sure to go check that out myself brentley and dre and then the rest of the content team as well are releasing articles every single day so make sure to be on the lookout for that go check out the mock draft machine which has been updated with the 2022 class go ahead if you want to be in the gm shoes of your favorite team or all 32 teams you are welcome to do that Um, be sure to check all of that out over at the draftnetwork.com Make sure to leave a five-star review. Uh, Make sure to listen and subscribe to the podcast as well, The Read Option. As always, thank you guys for listening. We will be back on Friday uh, to preview uh, the Week 8 slate of games, which is very exciting. But as always, thank you guys for listening, and we will see you then. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.